Hello, adventuresses, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to women who love horses, travel, and most of all, adventure. My name is Heather, and I will be your host today while we dive into uh, the uh, secret world of wild horses. Where did they come from? You know, what what are some really cool facts about them? You know, we've talked about a little bit about some of the wild horses in North America, uh, touched on the ones in Canada, but I thought today we, you know, we would, we'd, we dive into some really cool facts about them. Uh, so stay tuned for a great episode on the, uh, the wild horses of the world. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. To infinity and beyond! And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. Let's take a moment and acknowledge some of our great sponsors. Horse Riding Tracker App, an app to track all of your rides right from your iPhone or your Apple Watch. Some of the main features include... After each ride, you can see data such as distance covered, duration, max and average speeds and more. You can also see your gait distribution, how long and what distance you made it in each gait, walk, trot, lope, canter, gallop, whichever. You'll be able to see it all. There are detailed maps that you can uh, overlay data from your ride directly onto the map, which is super cool. You can put all of your horses into this app and assign a ride to each horse. So you can kind of keep track of, you know, what what training you've done with each one, all of those kind of things. There's shareable cards with maps, photos that you can take in during your ride and statistics. Um, super cool ad. So uh, you want to check out the horse tracker app. Uh, all of the information will be included in the show notes. So if you want to head over to Equestrian Adventuresses, you'll be able to uh, to find it there. If you're looking for a trail riding opportunity near the Dallas area, our next sponsor is who you want to check out. The Chisholm Trail Ride uh, Trail Rides and Horseback Riding near Dallas, Texas. Um, they have trails in all different terrains, making riding for every level fun. Uh, they offer a unique personalized riding experience. Uh, the horses will ride side by side in a group setting, single file, however you want it. They do offer a 30 minutes uh, instructional warm-up where the beginners uh, can have some, you know, some tips um, and the experienced riders uh, can, you know, get a tune-up as well as so everybody can ride on the same trail. Uh, trails are booked by a specific appointment times. They do offer two-hour semi-private, two-hour private trails, and three-hour trail riding experiences. We match uh, the riders to the horses based on riding experience, offering both Western and English-style riding, and starting at age five, so you can bring your youngsters along. Um, Rides start with two people, and they can accommodate up to 10 riders per ride. If you have a a group of larger than eight people, make sure you're calling them in advance um, so they can coordinate that. All times are booked in advance, so you definitely want to uh, want to check that out, um, so you so you don't miss out. Uh, to get in touch with them, you definitely want to head to their website, which is uh, chrisholmtrailrides.com. Um, their uh, email address is 
Chris Holmes trail rides uh, at yahoo.com. I will include all of this in the show notes um, so you don't want to miss out. So head on over to Equestrian Adventuresses to our website, click on resources, hit the podcast, and you'll be able to find all of the show notes um, and uh, see all of our great sponsors. Well, adventuresses, we're back here talking about wild horses, and I just, there's some, there's that mystery about them, that, uh, you know, their uniqueness, and, and even a little bit of that romance of how the, you know, there's one stallion, and those are his mares, and don't dare another one try to join in his herd, because uh, those are, so it's it's very exciting, and, and it really, you know, there's times I'm like, well, how did they get there? You know, we're living in 2022. Like how, you know, did somebody just abandon these horses or or how it all works? So, you know, we, we look at, you know, a herd of wild horses running free into the sunset. You know, is that really, like I said, a romantic image that uh, lives in every horse lover's head? Uh, wild horses have long been a symbol of freedom, adventure, uh, you know, and boy, there have been millions of you know, commercials, TV shows, movies that, you know, you see that, uh, you know, the, the horse is running free. Um, but, but now we, you know, we've kind of moved into an era, are they truly wild or feral? And what is really the difference? You know, wild horses or wild animals in particular never have never really been domesticated throughout the courses of their evolution whereas feral animals descend from a domestic ancestor that have been selectively bred by humans for a specific pur- purpose, right? Um, so technically, all horses alive today originate from a group of horses domesticated by us humans around 55, 6,000 years ago. Although horse populations live in the wild, these ones are most likely feral or semi-feral animals, which are not truly wild uh, horses. Um, you know, which leads to the question of, you know, really, are there any true, true wild horses? Um, you know, it wasn't up until recently that scientists believed that the Prewalski horses of Mongolia were truly the last wild horses in the world. Um, you know, the, these horses have a real primitive look to them, um, and they were uh, reintroduced to their natural habitat in 1992 after being driven to near extinction by humans. I, I read that the theory of the last truly wild horses was debunked in 2018 when a study revealed that the, the Przewalski horses are in fact a descendant of the first ever domesticated horse. According to the study, the ancestors of the breed were domesticated by the Bowtie people of northern Kazakhstan some 5,500 years ago. As a result, we cannot consider these horses truly wild, even though they've lived without much human contact. Um, You know, the Prewalski horses are the first domesticated breed, and it would seem logical that modern horse breeds evolved from these primitive equines. Um... But interesting, in in this article that I read, it said only 2.7 of horses today can trace their ancestry back to the people of the Bowtie um, uh, tribes. Still lots of, um, you know, research, scientific studies to, uh, to fully uncover how horse domestication actually happened. Um, it is interesting when, when you read the different theories is how, you know, they, they believe that it probably occurred 
several different times in different places as you know that you know different breeds were created and and these wild or feral horses were kind of discovered um, and how their temperaments and all of those kind of things uh evolved out right so um you know it is interesting when you look at wild horses because there is, you know, there's that uniqueness of them too. Um, when you look at wild horse breeds, um, you know, there is some indication that in the early, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, we did see the end of the world's last truly wild horse breed, the Tarpan, um, you know, also kind of known as the Eurasian wild horse. Uh, you know, it roamed the Russian uh, steep areas until its extinction um, in the late 1875 to 1890. Uh, you know, while it's generally accepted that tarpans were wild horses, some scientists remain skeptical. Uh, the tarpans had many primitive traits, such as the small, stocky stature, primitive markings, and that gorilla kind of gray, green, blackish kind of uh, coat. Um, the last alleged tarpan horse died in a Russian zoo in 1909. Uh, there were few attempts to bring back this ancient breed uh, using part tarpan stock uh, and related Eastern European horses, um, but breeders created uh, the heck horse that closely resembles the extinct, extinct relative. Um, you know, wild horses live in uh, groups, you know, in some, you know, where sometimes well, you'll just see a mare, a stallion, and a colt. Um, but up to, uh, I think that they're the largest ones they've seen kind of 22 is kind of the, the Mac per, per, uh, and I've lost the word, the, the grouping where that one stallion looks is kind of the, the chief of those, um, both wild, um, they do live in both wild and domesticated environments. Um, but still, you know, the very, very defined social structure, social structure, uh, being prey animals, they find their strength um, and safety, obviously, in numbers. Um, why horses instinctively seek out company of other horses? A herd of horses is essentially a family unit uh, in a natural setting, consisting of one stallion, his mares, and their foals. While the stallion protects the herd, the horses generally follow the lead with an alpha mare who is responsible for finding um, the food and water, which is really interesting. So the the, the male is responsible for fighting and, you know, just like, you know, in, in the humans, right? The man's supposed to bring in home the money and the, and the woman is supposed to cook and clean the house. Well, it doesn't work like that in the real world. So I'm sure some of those alpha mares keep those stallions in line as well. Um, kind of in the whole hierarchy of things, uh, most wild mares uh, will have a foal every year um, and they will keep them with, you know, nursing uh, for six to eight months. Um, and those those foals or colts traditionally stay with the herd for one to two years. Um, the females, the fillies often stay indefinitely unless um, they join a herd of another stallion. However, since colts pose a threat to their father's sta status, uh, the stallion usually casts them out by age two. On average, a stallion will maintain his position in the herd for two years, although some manage uh, for as long as, as 10 years, a decade. As a stallion gets older and weaker, they will face more and more challenges from the younger stallions wanting to have their own mares, etc. Um, 
you know, when the, you know, they, they refer to the younger stallions as, you know, the bachelors, um, it isn't uncommon that young stallions who, who left their herds from their, uh, and form like a bachelor group of, of five to eight, sticking together not only keeps them safe from predators, but also gives them the opportunity to practice, um, practice their fighting. Uh, sometimes bachelor stallions will even work together to steal mares from smaller herds. They wait until the lead stallion is not paying attention, then they swoop in like a vulture and take many mares as they can, which is really kind of funny when you think about it in uh, with people, right? Because, you know, there's the, all those, you know, the, the, the men that see the cute girl and maybe she's not standing beside her boyfriend and they swoop in and say all the right things and the next thing you know, she's moved on to a, to a new boyfriend. So, uh, wild horses, uh, their life expectancy, you know, with, you know, depending on what part of the world they're in, um, their life expectancy can be, uh, you know, dramatically shorter on average 15, um, to 20 years. Um, they do tend to live shorter lives in the wild than in captivity, you know, just really because when they're in captivity, the humans are looking, you know, making sure that, uh, they always have water. They always have feed. They're, you know, you know, their feet are looked after. They have proper health care. Um, you know, in, in the wild, in the wilderness, you know, an injury such as a broken leg means the end of the wild horse. Cruel as it sounds, uh, horses tend to leave their injured and weak behind to ensure the safety of their herd. Uh, old age does catch up on horses much quicker in the wild. Uh, over the age of 15, they become more prone to developing conditions like arthritis uh, and problems with their hooves, their teeth, um, which eventually, and we know with our domesticated horses, right? You know, if your feet aren't good and their teeth aren't good, they're, they're no good. Um, so, so, you know, there, there is definitely, um, you know, th those, those drawbacks. Um, you know, the natural habitat uh, for horses in the wild, you know, they're, they're always looking for grasslands, a water source. You know, millions of years ago, um, the horse's ancestors used to be used as forest browsers, feasting on leaves of bushes and young trees. However, as their um, habitats, ge habitats uh, generally transitioned into, into steeps, these horses adapted to a grass-based diet and living in wide open spaces. As part of this adaptation, their teeth and digestive systems changed considerably. To be able to flee from predators, um, their legs got longer, which turned into increased neck length. It is really interesting when you look at all like how, you know, what they eat, where they ate, um, and their kind of lifestyle, how, how it kind of started to change their uh, anatomy and their, and their build. Uh, you know, the, the physiology of it, um, you know, horses, nature and physiology make it hard uh, to tolerate small spaces. Um, horses typically migrate with seasonal changes in the wild, although we don't know, you know, really how much, uh, how much of these patterns is truly based on, you know, do they just move, you know, are they like birds? They move south in the wintertime and move back north in the springtime. Um, that, that is yet to be said. Um, you know, there are many, uh, horses, horse, horse breeds living in these wild feral states, uh, the wild Spanish Mustang, um, horses in the outer banks. Um, there are feral horse populations living on every continent except Antarctica, which obviously, cause it's 
pretty darn cold there and they wouldn't have a big uh, food source. Um, the most famous free roaming horse breeds in um, include obviously the Mustang, the Brumby, the Namby Desert Horse, the Prewalski Horse, and the Chickenaggy, uh, no, saying that wrong, Chincotegi Pony. Um, you know, there, there's a, uh, lots of semi-feral pony breeds living in the British Isles, uh, Dartmoor, the Exmoor, the Fell, the Dale, the Welsh, the XA, the New Forest pony breeds. Um, larger feral populations exist in the uh, Danube Delta regions, um, New Zealand, um, as well as in Canada, in Alberta and Nova Scotia. And we have talked about the wild horses in, uh, in uh, Alberta and Nova Scotia in a previous podcast. Uh, feral horse breeds are generally very sturdy and do well in endurance races. In most countries, the relevant authorities round up feral horses every year uh, um, in auction to control the uh, to control populations. Um, in the United States, Mustang populations are managed by the Bureau of Land Management, or the BLM. Uh, due to the efforts of the BLM, the number of free-reigning um, Mustangs has dropped significantly down to about 70,000. Um, you know, some great places to see uh, wild horses uh, throughout Canada and the United States. Um, in Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota is, is one place. Um, there's around 100 uh, horses in that park coming in all sorts of colors, grays, roans, pintos. Um You've got uh, the uh, Chincoteague Islands in Virginia and Maryland. Um, there's over 300 wild ponies in this area with two distinctive herds. Uh, the National Park Services manages the Maryland herd that roams across the Astegi Island National Seashore, um, as well as the Chincoteague Volunteer Fire, Fire Company privately owns the Virginia herd. Um, where these ponies live in a large fenced enclosure, um, and it's uh, they have an annual pony penning. Uh, saltwater cowboys round up these ponies and have them swim to the nearby island. Um, and there's a, you can find lots of information on those ones in uh, on YouTube, and and those, I'll see if I can include one in the show notes. Um, you're gonna find some in uh, you know there's in the Vir- uh, Virginia range in Nevada. Um, Approximately 2,000 Mustangs um, can be found in that area. Uh, the, the Tonto National Forest in Phoenix um, ha- is famous to the saltwater horses. Um, you know, good chance of seeing along the wa- waters usage. Pebble Beach, Blue Point, Goldfield, Coon Bluff uh, recreation areas off the Bush Highway. It's a good place to see them. Uh, in Dugway, Utah, uh, the a Nanoquai herd of wild horses. Um, they they believe that these horses uh, escape from a ranch, um, and and these horses are the descendants of those horses. There's around 450 in that area, um, often seen between the Simpson Springs and the Old River Bed Channel. Um, Montana, Wyoming, parts of the Prior Mountains, the Bighorn. Canyon National Rec- uh, Recreation Area. Uh, lots of Mustangs are, are seen in that area. Um, and again, they have that beautiful colonial Spanish horse kind of look to them. Um, and the Spanish, uh, pardon me, the, the Mustang um, horses 
in this area exhibit those primitive markings, the dorsal stripes, the zebra stripes on their legs, uh, and along Highway 37 is a great place to see them. Up in Oregon, uh, around the scenic Hines area, the Steens Mountain Wilderness area, um, beautiful wild horses up there. The herd is called the, in, uh, including the Kigrig uh, Mustangs. Um, these ones trace back all the way to Spanish horses brought over by uh, the Conquistadors. Um, commonly, they're in done in color, but again, these ones have those primitive markings as well. Um, so you don't want to miss that out. Georgia around Cumberland Island, um, the little Little Books Cliff Wild Horse Area in Colorado. Um, and then in Canada, you have the Sable Island ones, um, which is just off the coast of Halifax. Sable Island is a well-known um, area for its population of wild horses, consists of approximately 500 um, who are descendants of horses introduced to the island uh, in the 1700s. Um, these horses are a mixed pool of French and New England breeds. Uh, and then we have um, the Sandwash Basin in Colorado. Um, these uh, wild horses live on about 155,000 acres of land. Approximately 700 wild horses are in this area. The Sandwash Basin is famous for um, horse photographers um, wanting to uh, get photos of that famous wild stallion Picasso. Um, so if you if you Google Wild Horse Picasso, you're going to see some fantastic photos. So um, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the episode today on wild horses. A little bit of history on it, a little bit where you can see them. Um, so so you definitely want to check that out. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. On behalf of Uta and myself, we do look forward to you joining us again soon. If you like the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you will not miss any new episodes in the future. If you'd like to give us some feedback or suggest a topic for a future show, please send us an email or message us via Facebook, or simply leave a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. The greater reviews we receive, the more like-minded people can find our show. And don't forget to check out all the great things on our website, equestrianadventuresses.com. That's where you're going to find all those show notes on those great sponsors. Our goal is to provide you with all the information you need to feel confident to go on your own equestrian adventure. So until next time, adventuresses, happy trails.